Episode 27, and I'm not bragging, Jason D. <laughs> I am not bragging. 27 is nothing to brag. What, what, is, what is the number where you can actually start bragging? Is it 1,000 shows? Is it 100 shows? Is it 200 shows? Well, no one's bragging on 27 shows. I did 500 basketball games. <laughs> How many did you play in? That's bragging. You probably played in 120. Yeah. Something like so, that. So, yeah. so, so, you know, five. once you get to 500, 500. then you can start bragging. Because okay. now I'm bragging. Okay. Right. You can brag at 500. Yeah, yeah. I can't brag at 27. No, no. Uh, former NFL player agent, CBSSports.com columnist today, Joel Corey. He was at the NFL Combine. I thought I'd get his thoughts. Updates on NFL free agents, some really interesting Russell Wilson thoughts and how this is going to work out or not work out. Uh, Frank Clark, Earl Thomas, Joel Corey talking NFL contracts, salary cap, franchise tags. You know, there's a there's a deadline coming up. The Seahawks have until Tuesday this week, Tuesday. I don't know when people are actually listening to this mm -hmm, episode mm -hmm. 27, and I'm not bragging. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a Tuesday deadline, I think, that they have to franchise if they haven't gotten a contract done. Frank Clark, if they don't franchise him by Tuesday, if they forget, like, or they get up sick or they go play golf and they're like, oh, oh, we forgot. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't that think that's going to happen. That wouldn't be a good thing. No. Uh, so Joe Corey will talk all about everything happening in the National Football League two weeks from now. And it doesn't matter when people are listening to this episode. Everybody will have the brackets in their hand. Oh, yeah. Can't wait. You'll have the field of, I guess, 68, field of 64. People will be filling out brackets two weeks from now. Let's Can go. you believe that? Let's go. And the University of Washington is going to be on that bracket. But don't, don't give me that face. They're going to be on the bracket. I, they just... would have to do something so catastrophic that we would cancel the Mitch Unfiltered podcast. <laughs> uh, so, as we do each and every every other podcast these days, episodes, uh, the best bracketologist Dave Amon will mm -hmm. be featured. Now, his stuff is very important now. Oh, yeah. It's really important now. He's going to take us right into Bracketville. Where do we stand after an action-packed weekend? Tennessee got revenge on Kentucky. Michigan State lost to Indiana again. The dogs, you were there, now you're here, slipped by. Oh, my God. I read your tweet. Your heart stopped. I think mine did, too. Yeah. You just knew Noel at 76% just was not going to make that. It was just not meant to be that it would be easy. I was thinking two free throws, and then we foul, right? That's what you were we, thinking. We, we, we foul, yeah. right? Yeah. We foul yeah. up three inside of 10 seconds before they cross or when they cross Half court line. Anyway, Dave Amon, Bracketville. Where are the dogs? Who are the top seeds? What does Gonzaga have to do to screw up a number one seed? What about Syracuse? What about a Syracuse-Washington comparison? Mm. Let's get a Syracuse-Washington comparison. Uh, Dave Amon will be our guest. Listen on Apple iTunes. Spotify was spotty last week. It was. Having some problems. I got scared because I called, and this is kind of behind the curtain of podcasting, I called the consultant who got us all mm -hmm, set up mm -hmm, in Seattle, mm -hmm. and she said, please don't tell me you have a Spotify question. Oh, and I was like, how did you know? She says, I don't know. Just tell me you're not having problems with Spotify. I was like, I'm having a problem with Spotify. What's the problem? The problem is, is that for some reason, episode 26, 
is not available. It was up to 25. Everybody who was listening on Spotify couldn't see 26, yeah. mm-hmm. didn't download. And she said, the one place that I can't and, and no one can help you with is Spotify. They do what they want to do. There's no way to contact them. There's no way to, there's uh, virtually no way. And yet a day later, oh, it showed up. It was like the Stanford shot that didn't go down. <sighs> I, I, I breathe a sigh of relief when I saw it on Spotify the next day. But you can listen on Spotify, Apple iTunes. We want you to listen, subscribe, and rate. Five stars, please. Um, check out the extra content that's available on Patreon. Become a patron for as low as $5. How would you think, how, how do you think you sounded? There's been a lot of reaction from the patrons. I haven't heard it, so I don't know. Because you're not a patron. No, I'm not a patron. You, you don't have access to that. Well, since I'm part of the show, I, I don't. I don't. I know what I. I need to start sending you those. I mean, I don't know that you'll sit down and listen to them. You should have heard what you sounded like on that Thursday night patrons only episode after the Berkeley disaster. Mm-hmm. I've never heard you sound like... I don't know whether you were mad at something else going on in your world. I don't know if you had anything else going on. It was just the Berkeley thing. You sounded so freaking disgust... Like you wanted no part of anything. Yeah, that's, Anything I that, brought up, you had no You had no interest in anything. Yeah, that pretty much sounded... Are you that. over that now? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm still disappointed that they lost that game because... They shouldn't have lost that game. Yes. But, so there's some lingering effect on that, but, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much over it. All right. Well, that episode, that bonus, bonus content episode, yeah. is up for patrons right now. Also, Mariners pitching prospects uh, and where they uh, they rank, that's up there. Uh, I'm thinking about starting a weekly schnoz. What do you think about that? Just for patrons. Oh, I think people would like love that. Like a Friday weekly schnoz the stories of the week two or three or four stories remember when i used to do the daily oh, yeah. schnoz i do i just go boom 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 have three or four guests on a weekly schnoz what do you think about that i think that's a fantastic i think idea. i might just do that uh for it would be for patrons only we're not going to make it uh a regular podcast uh the the new mitch unfiltered facebook page uh i gotta be honest there's a video on our new mitch unfiltered facebook page that i can't stop watching you probably haven't seen it a little I like a little like six or seven year, and I'm not a soccer person. I don't think you are either. A six or seven year old girl in a breakaway. Oh, with the spin move? Yeah. Oh, you've seen it? Uh, not on not on your Facebook page, but I saw it on on Twitter or somewhere. I can't stop watching it. Yeah, I watch it over and over and over. Are you sure again. it's a girl? I, I'm I'm just asking the question. <laughs> I. I'm, I thought it was. I, I, I don't know. I don't is know. It the, a guy, is it a boy? I, I, I don't know. I'm just, that was my reaction when I first saw it was. I'm, Maybe I'm th- now you got me thinking. I don't know. Not that that's relevant, but the, the, the move is fantastic. Whether it's a little girl or a little boy, they, they got the juice. They got and the then juice. the dance. Did you see the no, dance? Uh-uh, oh, no. yeah. I think it's a, it may be a Fortnite dance, but it was a dance. Out. I just can't stop watching the spin yeah. move. Yeah, the spin move it's is just ridiculous. Fantastic yeah. stuff. And I, I don't know. I'm not a soccer person, but. Uh, anyway, it's all brought to you by Zeke's Pizza. If you're anywhere near the new Zeke's Tacoma location, which is on the UW Tacoma campus, we're less than two weeks till we have the brackets. Stop by and watch the dogs with me in the NCAA tournament. We'll be watching you, looking for you. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you, by the way, about sitting behind the coach. I was wondering that when I was watching on Sunday, the Stanford game, how often you get blocked 
It's got to happen. 40% of the game. You can't even see the game. I, I watch it on the big screen. Because Hopkins is right in front of you. Yeah. Now, Now it's a good thing Hopkins is slight. Yeah. He's very slender. Yes. Uh, he, he's a really thin, thin guy. Yeah. I mean, if you Have had, we started the show yet? No. Or, oh, no. okay. Bob I, Huggins. I, if you had Bob Huggins <laughs> in front of you? I don't know. What's that guy? Frank... Um, Frank Martin. Oh, South Carolina, Frank Martin. If you had a mountain of a man yeah, in front yeah. of you like that, you would never see a damn game. No. Uh, anyway, Zeke's Pizza on the Thursday or Friday of the NCAA tournament. Daniel's Broiler, four incredible locations. Leshy Marina, South Lake Union, Bellevue Place, the new downtown Seattle spot at the Hyatt Regency, and 8th and Howell. Tuesday night, March 19th, by the way, in Bellevue, unfiltered March Madness. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager of the Northwest, $2 billion in assets, four offices on the West Coast, pillars of the Northwest community, proud sponsors of the Bellevue Boys and Girls Club, and Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue, the best value SUV on the market, is the Land Rover Discovery and its third row seating. Stop by Jag Land Rover of Bellevue and check it out, along with all the other cars, plus the best selection of Jaguars anywhere. Are you ready to begin? I am. You think we should start? We should. Episode 27 starts now. Unfiltered. It's okay to have a game plan going in, but when you're so stubborn and unwilling to get away from it because the other team is essentially daring you to do so, then we get into stupidity. Unfiltered. Guess that's what really kind of infuriates me, that we go to the offseason after a game that the quarterback was really not given a chance to win the football game for you. That's a quarterback who's the face of the organization. That's a quarterback who, as I say, in a couple of years or in a year, they're going to give, I don't know, $25, $30 million a year to. And yet it just feels to me like they took the ball out of his hands. Mitch is unfiltered. No help. No help from what? The locals, the local athletes on episode 27. Oh. I'm itching for a local Northwest flavor to name an episode after, and we're getting no help on t- unless unless any of these guys do it for you. Okay. Maybe some of these guys I'm, do it I'm for really you. I'm really curious now, okay? You want Seahawks, Mariners, or Sonics first? You oh, pick it. N- uh, Mariners. Pick it. Mariners. Um, Diego Segui. No. Uh, Taiwan Walker. I was a big, I was really hopeful for Taiwan Walker. We all were. Yeah. Just another one that never yeah. really panned out. No. Kind of, sort of, but never really panned out. He was supposed to be special. Didn't work out for him. Uh, Ryan Healy. Yeah, no. No. Um, so that's the best I got for marriage. Okay. Seahawks? Uh, we could go Eddie Lacy. Or we could not. <laughs> Jeez, Eddie Lacy. Eddie Lacy. That was How an is experiment. The Eddie Here's the funny thing. Funny, not funny, haha. But mm-hmm. did anybody <laughs> think that was going to work? Right. Yeah. Besides John Schneider. <laughs> now, I love John Schneider, and he's done a good job, and Pete Carroll's done a good job. Was there one? I guess there were some people who thought yeah, I mean, it if- was good. Does, did anybody think that the Eddie, when they signed him, I remember he was he was going around on interviews, and he was like twenty pounds overweight in interviews. He's trying to get a free agent, multi million yeah. dollar, and he's looking like a slob in interviews. Yeah, 
Did anybody have any optimism that the Eddie Lacy era was going to work in Seattle? Sometimes you just take a flyer. You just like, hey, maybe this guy, it'll, it'll start to click for him. Maybe he'll be committed. Maybe he'll lose the weight. Maybe he'll, he'll be that guy. We're going to take a flyer. Yeah. But, but no, no. So I, I, That's the best you got for this? No, I got one oh, other. Okay. I, really is, under, you'll like, you'll like, but you won't. We're not naming any episodes after Big Play Babs. Oh. Jordan Babineau. Yeah. Made a lot of huge plays. Of the names you've listed? You like, well, we're not, yeah. I'm just saying of the names you listed between yeah. the Mariners and the Seahawks so far, yeah. he would be the top choice. A lot of big plays. Mm-hmm. The biggest, the one, well, maybe not the biggest one, but the one that I always remember is he's the guy who made the tackle from behind on Tony Romo. On the on the missed fumble, the snap. Because fumble. there's a lot of people out there that don't recall, like I do, that they needed a half yard for after the disaster. They didn't, he didn't have to score a touchdown. All he had to do was gain a half a yard. They would have gotten a first down and been able to, to run the clock out, mm. kick it, do whatever mm-hmm. they wanted to do. And big play Babs from the opposite side, uh, circling around, made a diving tackle to stop him a half yard short of the first down. Yeah. Big play Babs, but that doesn't do it. Sonics? Sonics. That 79 team is, or 70, what, what year did they win it? Yeah, 79. 79. That, that's way before you. 79. You don't remember that 79 team. Well, I was a little, I was a little kid. Johnny Johnson. Yeah. JJ. Yeah. His son Jeremy and I were growing up together, kids. Okay. And yeah, yeah. He he wore 27, may he rest in peace. Yep. Um, does Johan Petro do anything <laughs> for you? <laughs> oh. Oh, you are That's a piece it. of work. That's all I That's got. That's it. That's it. There, all right. There's your local sets of 27. It's going to be hard. That's going to be hard. So now, it's all Babino all listen, the time. Yeah. Uh, now, now that you've said what you said, JJ's number one. In so far, he's, he's over Babs. Yeah, well, he's, he's he was a supporting character on that team, though. I mean, he was a starter, but he was supporting. That's great. Yeah, they really? also won a title. They also won a title, and what, he's local. You talk about local flavor. He was a part of that iconic group that I won. I still haven't told you this, Casey Jones. No, you have not. Uh, you haven't told me. What's the name story. of that place? Echo Falls. Is it so? Echo yeah. Falls. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. I'll add it to the list. Okay, but we do have some good national ones. Okay. But it's going to bring up a question about episode naming because we've never had this discussion before. Have we ever named an episode after an active athlete? Or is it well, we, always somebody who's We didn't start doing this until, what, 20, 20? 19, 18, somewhere in there? Yeah, I think... Yeah. I'll, Have we ever done had a, an active player? No, be, I don't, think, I don't so. think so. No, they've all been... How do you feel about for, that? I feel fine. If that, that, that's the best person for the job. Okay, well, here are the best people. You got in uh, in Major League Baseball, you got yourself... Wait a does... Is this entire list all active? There's no, 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 no there's no, no. no Hall of Famers in... No, 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 no. Oh, okay. There's one guy that stands out right, that I think ahead. we should consider. Uh, Juan Marichal. Yeah. He's not active. Yep. No. No, he's, no. He's, he's alive, but yeah. not... I think he's alive. I think he's alive, yeah. Ten-time All-Star, um, the Giants, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, uh, National League wins leader in 68, ERA leader in 69, Hall of Famer, Baseball Hall of Famer, made it on his third ballot, got 83% of the vote. Juan Marshall, high mm-hmm. leg kick. Yeah, yeah. You can probably, yeah. 27, he wore 27. 
Um, Vladimir Guerrero, Good whose player. son is supposed to be incredible. I don't know, but his son yeah. is supposed to be amazing, maybe better than him. Uh, pretty good player. Just yeah. got into the Hall of Fame. I think that was last year. The the last class that's actually gone in was him on his second ballot. Um, nine-time All-Star, AL MVP, eight-time Silver Slugger, hit all those bad pitches. The best way to get Vladimir Guerrero out was throw it right down the middle. Mm-hmm. He didn't like them right down the middle. So there's a guy that we yeah. could name the, the episode after. Uh, if you want NFL, the best I really can do for you for NFL or football would be Eddie George. He was a Heisman Trophy winner. He was a four-time Pro Bowler, first-team All-Pro one time. Didn't have much. He was 27? Yeah, I think he wore I 27. he was 29. 27? No, I think he's 27. Okay. Maybe he was 29 no, at Ohio no, no, State. No, no, I think no, he was 27. Yeah, for whatever reason. Um, if that doesn't. Okay. Hockey, 18 seasons. Scott Niedermeyer. I always feel obliged to, to, to mention the hockey guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the guy. Which is? Mike Trout. Oh, I mean, he's going to be a first ballot. Mike Trout, who I'm going to talk about on this episode at some point. You and I are going to talk about because of the big contract that the guy that they used to to consider the two of them as kind of who's better, Bryce Harper or Mike. They don't know. No one asks that question. You'd be be thrown out of the bar for asking that question anymore. Seven-time All-Star, two-time MVP, AL Rookie of the Year, in his prime, just in his prime, six-time Silver Slugger. Uh, if we're if we're okay with name and shows after active players, I'm, I can't. I'm think. all for it. And by the way, as nice it's he seen, and I don't know him. Mm-hmm. Seems like got a great, head, very, very down to earth. Every time he's interviewed, I say to myself, "Is this guy for real?" <laughs> he just looks like he's he's got it going on. Yeah, just a just a nice, solid young man who is going to be when it's all said and done, definitely a first ballot Hall of Famer. Oh, that's cool. maybe the greatest ever. How many do you know how many years he's played? Do you do you have that information? Yeah, I think it's 7. Okay, so you, you, what you've rattled off in 7 years, 7 time all-star, right. 6 two MVPs, AL rookie of the year in 12. So do it. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Eight 7 years. years. He's starting his 8th year this year. Mm-hmm. Hit for the cycle, part of the 30-30 club, stolen bases leader, um Great arm goes over the goes over the fence yeah. whenever he wants to, to rob home runs. Yeah. Episode Mike Trout, yes, and it's not in the books, but yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we finish the first segment, and we will uh, we'll have some stories at the end, and we'll have the two interviews in the middle, and uh, we'll talk about some substance in our next segment. You and me, mm. you and I, will talk about some substance. I want to clean up some things from episode twenty six. And we're doing that now? Right now. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, Number one, Michelle Boston. Mm -hmm. Michelle Boston. You're trying to shut shut us down over Twitter on Michelle Boston? There's nothing to shut down. You were shutting us down. You were like, that's it. She made her, it's sealed. She made her first and last appearance ever on Mitch Unfiltered. And she's over there on her Twitter going, no, you can't shut me up. I got things to say. Yeah. Yeah. People loved Michelle. You want me to read them? No, I don't need... I, listen, I, I live with her. I, I had to listen to both episodes with my wife. So funny. My wife sided with Michelle, by the way. Oh, man, <laughs> Michelle's response was classic. Oh, man, not sure what's funnier. Jayham's silence with his wife spoke while his wife spoke or him waiting until she's gone to say she's wrong. Um, <laughs> loved Michelle. Uh, bring her back. I mean, it's over and over and over yeah. again. And you're trying to shut... You, you, sh- you can't shush her. You can't shush her. 
I don't even know that why we're talking about this. We got to clean up. She was the star of episode twenty six. Great, I'm glad that people enjoyed it. That was the whole point. They, it was both sides. They got they got me on twenty five. They got her on twenty six. The story that we told was there, and so you know, there's no more stories. We got no more stories. But to, there's there's got to be opportunities to 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 pop her on the uh, the Mitch unfiltered every once in a while. Hmm. Come on, I'll have to think about that. You'll have to think about yeah. it. What about her? What if she said? What if I she, say she's she, invited she, yeah, and she, she says won't. she wants to do it? She she won't unless I say you need to come on. You're calling the shots. No, it's not that. You got veto rights. It's not that. You're gonna hit the veto button. It's not that. It's it's simply this. I had to persuade her to even come on. Oh, you did. Yes. It didn't sound that way. I had to persuade. I had to persuade her to come on. She doesn't strike me as somebody who needs very much persuading no. to tell her tell no. her piece. I actually at the very end I was like, I need you to do this because it's gonna be fun. And what has she what has she said since? Did she listen to it? Yes. I don't know. I didn't ask her. Have you talked about it at all? You've been in San Francisco yeah, no. for like five weeks. Yeah, yeah. But- I mean, I, I told her that it was fun and it was a great listen and I'm glad she did it. And I said, see, I I told you it was going to be fun, and Mitch, it was fun for Mitch. I, and, oh, God, it was great. Yeah. I thought it was great. Yeah. <laughs> You're fishing for something here that no, you just, I just... I just want you to say, hey, she's welcome to come on anytime what, we want. What you, what you said on Twitter, which is really the cleanup reaction, yeah. is you said it's, uh, it's majority rule or something like that where... I couldn't say she can't come on. She's going to be invited, and if she wants to come on, it's two against one. That's what you said, and I was like, "Well, I said I, what, what I meant. What I what I was meaning to say yeah. is, we got three adults here. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I'm involved. Yeah, you're involved. She's involved. Yeah, and you were like, "That's it. Her seal's been fit. Her fate's been sealed. Yes. That's it. That was her one and only shot." Yeah, and I was thinking. She was like, no, you can't judge. I, I got things to say. Yeah, I know what she you said. You can't stop me. Yeah, I know what she and said. And I'm thinking, okay, there's three adults here. <laughs> if the two of us, if I say she's invited on and she says she wants to go on, you're kind of out in the cold. <laughs> and that's where I responded. And I said, I don't think so. I don't think so. I wouldn't count those chickens. Uh, all right. I won't count the chickens. One last thing to clean up from episode 26, and then we'll move to the second segment. We'll talk actually about sports. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably noticed over the last several days there was a there was a contra a controversy that was swirling on Twitter about Greg Bell. Oh yes, I did see that. Yep. And I, I want to say what I've said on Twitter. I want to say verbally because sometimes with all the with all the limitations on what you can write and what sure. you can say, things don't come out right. I told people because they were asking, what about Greg Bell from the Combine? Mm-hmm. What about a Greg Bell update about the Seahawks? When are you going to have Greg Bell? Because Greg Bell, if you, you probably know this story. Greg Bell, the News Tribune reporter who covers the Seahawks, is just fantastic. He's great in print. He's great on radio. When I was working over at KJR, I remember walking into the program director's office and saying, why can't we, we were using Bob Condota at the time, why can't we also use Greg Bell? He's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. He's great. And then I pushed and I pushed and I pushed and we started what we called the Seahawks at 7, mm-hmm. where he would come on every day during the Seahawks season and and pr- at 7 o'clock right. in the morning right. on our show and for about 10 or 12 minutes. And it was great. He's great. Mm-hmm. He's fantastic. And so I felt obliged when, when I did call Greg 
I texted Greg and asked him to come on from the Combines. Yeah. He had been on, you remember, a few yeah. episodes back. He was great on the episode that he came on. And he notified me that KJR did not, was not happy with his appearance on our mm. previous episode mm-hmm. and has asked him to not do it anymore or to make a decision. You can either do us or you can do Mitch Unfiltered. Make a decision. Mm-hmm. And he told me on my text what I would expect him to say, which is I, I assured them that I wouldn't do it anymore and that I would continue to hold my commitment, my long-term commitment yeah. to KJR, yeah. which is great, which is fine. And so I was kind of in an awkward spot because people are asking, where's Greg Bell? Why can't you put him on? Right. Put him on. When is he going to be back on? So you were and just I figured, responding. I, I, had to, I had to at some point, whether it was then or at the football season, say sure. he's not going to be on. KJR has asked him not to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, people went off the deep end. <laughs> off the absolute deep end. Uh, and, well, the people that follow me that are fans of sure, me and sure. you and this. When I, I mean, clearly... It's a group of people that approve of what we're doing and approve of my comeback and have listened and heard me out. And I'm sure there's a world of other people that uh, don't approve and don't like me and don't want to have anything Mm -hmm. to do with this podcast. Mm -hmm. But the people that follow us really got mad, like KJR, how dare KJR do this? And I have defended them on Twitter and I want to defend them here. And I want to say what I've said, which is, I have no problem with them telling Greg Bell or asking Greg Bell not to do another show. Sure. sure. Okay. Another local. Now we're not a radio show. We're a podcast and what have you. If that's if they're uncomfortable in sharing him and they have been using him for all these years since I was there, then I have zero. I have that. That's the business of 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 radio and KJR. I'm not. I don't mean to interject on. On your story here, but do, no, it's not do, a story. Does yeah, it, please. Doesn't it's not exclusive. Doesn't Greg Bell do seven ten as well? I think he does. Okay, so. I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure, but I think he does some stuff with John Clayton. Yes. Okay. All right. So, I was just curious. I was just throwing that out there. For whatever reason, KJR doesn't want Greg Bell to be on this podcast. Mm, mm-hmm. If you want to, if you want to say it's not an exclusive thing, it's just. They don't want to be associated with people that are on our podcast because of what I've done and my fall and and what I put them through. Then it's that for whatever reason. Right, right. The point that I'm I'm raising is I'm not angry. Mm-hmm. I'm not bitter about this. Mm-hmm. I'm disappointed because I only because I'm selfish enough to want to talk to Greg Bell. Sure, sure. But I get it. Radio stations who have contributors do this every day for mm-hmm. different reasons. Maybe not this reason, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but every day for different reasons. And so I I bear no grudge. I have no hard feelings. Right. I wish Greg Bell the best in both print and on radio. I urge all of our listeners, if they love Greg Bell, to listen to him on KJR at 7 a.m. whenever they're on. I don't know if they still do mm-hmm. when I started Seahawks at 7, but clearly he's still on there. And... My point was not to make KJR look bad. My point was just to say, hey, here's the story. Right. We can't have him on, so stop asking, please, because, right. Right. because it's K- not happening. It's not happening yeah. because KJR has been using him and he's been a contributor to KJR and they just don't want him for whatever reason. This is not the first time this has happened. We went through this. I don't know if I brought this up on the air. I think I brought it up to you. There was a piece of audio that I wanted to use, mm-hmm. an interview that I had done with Howard Schultz 
um, the day after he sold the Sonics. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it was brought to my attention. I was reminded of it. I had forgotten about the interview. And I wanted to, when I heard it again, the, it, was, it was really entertaining. And it was when he was on 60 Minutes and announcing that he may run for the White House. And his name came up and the apology to Seattle and the book. And right, right. all those things were happening. And I thought, geez, I'm listening to this 20-minute conversation that I, that I had with Howard Schultz. And I... I guess there's there's rules and laws of what I can use and what it's clearly property of KJR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I certainly can't use the whole thing without their permission. And so I wrote them and I asked them for their permission and they declined. Mm-hmm. They declined. They said we're not. Thank you for the lawyers said thank you for asking. We appreciate you asking, but we're declining your your request to mm-hmm. use that interview on your podcast. Mm-hmm. And that was the end. I didn't yeah. use the, the, this is business. Yeah. And it's more than business. It's human life. Sure. And what I said in episode one, I'm going to say again, and I'm sure that in probably another 10 episodes, I'm going to say it again. KJR didn't screw up. Mm-hmm. I screwed up. KJR treated me as well as any human being could ever be treated in the radio business for 23 years. Mm-hmm. What they choose to do now because of me messing up and me putting them in a really awkward and difficult spot is their business, and I get. Right. It, 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 does, it does me no good to be angry or bitter. Right, right. And whether they acknowledge me or don't acknowledge me, whether they put an asterisk next to my name <laughs> yeah. in terms of what I, co- yeah. what I contributed to their radio station, it doesn't matter. I harbor no Ill, Ill will and... I'm not mad. Right. Disappointed that I can't talk to Greg Bell? Yes. Mm. But I'm not mad. Okay? Got it. I'm sure you know by now, but it's worth repeating, that Zeke's Pizza is the Northwest's homegrown pizza company. Founded in Queen Anne in 1993 by Tom Vile and Doug McClure, buddies, Zeke's is rooted in friendship and celebrates the adventurous spirit natural affinity for craftsmanship that makes the Northwest great. And it's one of the many reasons that I feel like it's a perfect connection, a perfect match with Mitch Unfiltered. Northwest-style pizza, which my family loves. The sourdough bite, the toppings, the creative and different without ever losing respect for the classics. The attention to detail at every Zeke's is noticeable. Zeke's dough made every morning in its kitchen on Finney Ridge and then delivered fresh daily to each of the 16 Puget Sound locations, including one of the newest ones in Tacoma at the UW Tacoma, where I'm going to be to watch the UW play in the NCAA basketball tournament. Every pizza, hand-tossed when you order it. All the herbs and produce, locally sourced if possible. Always hand-chopped on-site to emphasize their fresh, natural flavors. If you want to watch a ball game and enjoy pizza and craft beer, Zeke's is where my family goes. Try it. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Jason D. Hamilton over there. The chore mm-hmm. over here. Mm-hmm. We haven't we haven't fig- figured that out too. We gotta we gotta wrap that. We haven't simple. tidied up that mess. That one's simple. Oh, it is. Okay. Um, Northwest football report on the Twitter, and he's Jason D Hamilton on the Twitter, mm-hmm. and I'm Mitch underscore Seattle on the Twitter. He writes, "Love the podcast. Can we bring the bell back every time J Ham says the word bifurcate?" 
I must say it often, and I don't know it, that someone would... You threw one in. I didn't even know what it meant. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I said right. on Twitter, it reminds me... It reminds me of a famous, um, a famous moment in the world of Muhammad Ali and Howard Cosell. Howard Cosell, a famous piece of audio, a famous piece of video, a famous interview between Howard Cosell and Muhammad Ali, and I'm now forgetting the word, truculent. Yeah, truculent. Truculent. So Muhammad Ali was being brash in the ring, and I told you, Howard, I told you, and Howard turned to him and said. Muhammad, you're being extremely truculent. And Ali, without even hesitating or missing a beat, says, I don't know what that is, but if it's good, I'm it. Yeah. Or something like yeah, exactly yeah. that. Um, so bifurcate. bifurcate. Every time you use bifurcate, everybody drinks. Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, let's see here. Wahoo wants to know, uh, what's your and Jason's favorite golf course in Washington or in any other state? I know what you're going to say. You better say it. Really? You do? I would hope so. My favorite golf course that I've played yeah. or that I haven't played? or Yeah, that it, yeah. you played. Oh, well, yeah. That's pretty... I would hope that that was a simple one for you. Well, it's not so simple. Okay. I've been very fortunate. It's not so simple. Oh, this is a story. <laughs> it's, not, it's, is, it's not so... Did you just play while you were in the Bay Area, your favorite all-time golf course or not? Was that the best? Go you played Pasa Tiempo. Tell everybody what Pasa Tiempo. Nineteen like twenty five, nineteen twenty nine. Alistair McKenzie. McKenzie yeah, he did Augusta. Who, yeah. He did Cypress and yes. so forth. And you played it for the first time. For the first time while you were in the Bay Area yeah. between Cal and Stanford. Yes. And how was it? Spectacular. And it was even because of the weather, some rain, a little wet on the course. But even that didn't affect my view of. The holes, the difficulty, the beauty of it, it was it was great. Best ever? No, only – I don't know if it's the best ever. I, I still – from an experience standpoint, I just love Bandon. I that's love, your, yeah, I love Pacific. I love Bandon. I just love – I love everything that is Bandon Dunes, so it's yeah. hard for me to go something is better because that is such an experience. Yes, that I just love being there. Have you there. played all of the courses at Bandon? Multiple times. See, I've only played two. I've only been there one time. And it oh. was way back when Pacific and Bandon were the only ones. Okay. So I've played the original and I've played Pacific and I haven't played Old McDonald. Had a, I've, you haven't played no, Old McDonald? You haven't no, played Trails? No, yeah, no, no. None, okay. uh, how many are there? Five? Four? Yeah, five, five? Six? I've played two. Well, I think there's now the six. The two are great and I couldn't agree with you more about the experience. Yes. So that's your number one, huh? How about state of Washington? You got one. You got a favorite Sahali. Uh, I, for different reasons, yeah. you know. I, I love the chambers. Yeah, I was gonna say I love chambers only because it's so different than everything else we play. Yeah. Um, but I think Aldera when Aldera's hard when Aldera's summertime. Yeah. There's nothing better than that. You like it? It's really good. You're gonna have to. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, I know somebody who can get you yeah, on I there, think by I, the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I have to answer the same question. Yeah, you should. If you don't I say hate, Augusta I, I, National. I hate the way this sounds because. Oh, because you played Cypress too, haven't you? Oh, yeah, many times. Oh, you're such a jerk. I have. Yeah. I have. I've played a lot. If you go down the, I've been very, very lucky. I've played a lot of the biggies. Pine Valley? Played it. All right, so if you played <laughs> if you played Cypress Pine Valley in Augusta, I have. Okay, so that's yes, yes and yes. That's really kind of the triumvirate right there. If no, 
I wouldn't say that. Who, what would you throw in well, there? Well, I'd throw a couple other woods in there. Do we really have to do this? This is making me feel I mean, very uncomfortable. Oakmont? Played it. Okay. Wingfoot? Not played it. Okay. Give me just Chicago, I'm gonna, I, Chicago Golf Club. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Played it. Pebble's right in there. Uh, Pe- Pebble's great. Pebble's right there. You 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 got Pebble underneath band. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I would say I would say that um, Augusta National was the experience of my lifetime of golf. Mm-hmm. My my experience of anything mm-hmm. outside of my kids yeah. and my family. Mm-hmm. The the opportunity, the unexpected invite and opportunity to go to Augusta National two weeks before the Masters was played. The stands were up. Yeah. Everything was up. I was tipping my cap, walking down, yeah. you know, walking down fairways. I was there for two days. I played four rounds: one in the morning, one in the one in the morning, lunch, one in the afternoon, one in the morning, lunch, one in the afternoon. That's too good. And it was it was everything that you could have thought it would be times a million. Ugh. So Love yes, it. but the ones that you mentioned are. All time, go- what they don't have is they don't like you say Pine Valley. Mm-hmm. I don't know that anybody listening even knows what a lot of people won't even know what Pine Valley. Right. For years, Pine Valley was ranked ahead of Augusta. It was Pine Valley one yep. and Augusta two. Mm-hmm. But Pine Valley doesn't have the you can't, fanfare. You, you can't walk to no. where Larry Mize made the chip. You can't. You right. can't try to replicate the chip of Tiger that goes up on and back right. down on sixteen and goes and hangs. On the and lip then and then goes in, in, right? Yeah. yeah, you can't. You can't because no one's jacks, seen it. Maybe, yes, sir. Yeah, right. no one's seen it. No one. No. I mean, you know, unless and that was the coolest thing about the trips down Augusta. I walked the same you know those I, shots. I, every sh- yeah. every hole, I was, th- I was in my mind. I was replaying Ray's Creek, Ray's Creek, Freddie Couples ball hanging on the bank. I I was four for four at twelve. Good for you. Four for four. Not when I say four for four, not going in the water. Yeah, yeah. I hit. I hit. I think it was two on the green, one just off the green, and one in the back right trap. I didn't hit any in the water at twelve. Um, I have. I, I can tell you. I and that's why you know it was great because in, uh, the four. I can tell you every shot of all four rounds. Right. Every shot of every four round. I can replay every shot in my mind of all four rounds. And uh, and that's not me. Normally, I could play a golf course and not remember. Yeah. I could be at the grill afterward and not remember a shot. So uh, yeah, I would say Augusta National, and I would agree with your Aldera remark. You would, yes, I would. Re- in terms of the state of yeah, Washington. state of Washington, yeah, mm-hmm. I love that golf course, but I'm a little bit biased. Yep. I don't know that I should yep. be answering that. All right, real quickly here, not real quickly. Um, let's see here, Bryce Harper, thirteen years, three hundred and thirty million dollars, pocket change, three hundred and thirty million dollars, and all I want to say about that is. After Manny Machado got three hundred million over, I think ten years, and Bryce Harper got thirteen years, three hundred thirty million. I want to go back to the guy that we're going to name this show after, probably mm-hmm. in the last segment after our storytelling, and ask the question: What's he going to get? What's he worth? Not what's he going to get. What's he worth? If Bryce Harper and I don't want you to answer it yet, I'm going to give you a, a number. I'm going to give you a series of numbers, then I want you to answer. If Bryce Harper is worth on the open market 13 years, $330 million guaranteed. Mike Trout, when he's a free agent, which I think is in a year or in a year and a half, I don't know when it is. What is he worth at his age in terms of his productivity mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. in the peak of his career? I'm just going to tell you this. You can do all the numbers that you want. 
You could do average homers, RBI, stolen bases. You can do defensive stacks. You can do saber metrics. You can do anything you want. I'm going to boil it down to one very easy for everybody to understand comparison. Okay. Okay. Because when these guys broke into the league, there was a lot of who's better, Bryce mm-hmm. Harper. Mm-hmm. No one has that conversation anymore. Because what Bryce Harper is, is a really nice kind of all-star quality baseball player. Mm-hmm. And what Mike Trout is, is one of the greatest, is going to go down as one of the greatest has ever played. Yeah, of all time. First ballot Hall of Famer, probably will be a 100% on all the ballots, and he will be in the discussion as one of the greatest five players of all mm-hmm. time. That's a big difference, oh, yeah. those two. Oh, yeah. and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll narrow it down for you with this. MVP. I am going to read to you the finish of each player in there. They've both been in the league, I think, seven years. I think they both came in the same year. I'm just going to read to you where they finished in the MVP. That So that takes in all you – know, I don't have to do homers, average, yeah, RBIs, yeah. all that stuff, because it really – all that comes out in this, yeah. right? I'm going to start with Bryce Harper. Um, his rookie year, he finished 30th. The only thing that the keeps the, – the, the thing that I looked at is top 30. Okay. So he finished 30th. In his rookie, rookie year. year. Mm-hmm. Then he finished out of the top 30, out of the top 30. Then he finished first. He won the MVP in his fourth year. Then he finished out of the top 30, 12th overall, and out of the top 30. So he goes yeah. 30, out, out, first, first. out, 12th, 12th, out. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's Bryce Harper. Yep. Okay. You ready for Mike Trout? Yep. In his seven years. Yep. Second, rookie year. Second in his second year. First in his third year. Second in his fourth year. First in his fifth year. Fourth in his sixth year. And second in his seventh year. Consistent. Consistent He finished second, second, first, second, first, fourth, second. In the MVP balloting of the American League. That's amazing. End of discussion. Yeah, that's it. $330 million for Bryce Harper. Over 13 years, over the same 13-year contract, Mike Trout, Mike Trout is worth. If Bryce Harper's with 330, Trout's worth 450. He's approaching. Five, I don't know four 400, well, 425, about, 500 million. How, how much is it? I mean, well, it's just ridiculous. And it's also average per per year because he could do a 10-year deal like Machado right. for if 450. Machado, if if Machado's 10 300, right, he'd go 10 450. 10, I think, four, yeah, 45 million a year. Yeah. Guy yeah. is, I mean, come on. You want to represent Bryce Harper or you want to, I'll represent any, any of them. I'll take my percentage. I'll take my percentage. Um, Washington Huskies basketball. Mm-hmm. For the non-patrons who didn't hear your despondent. I don't even remember what I said. Phone call, it was, it's not what you said. It's how you said it. You sounded effing miserable. I was like sitting here going, oh my God. I thought it was an act at first. I didn't I even like, want to talk to you I, I you still don't want to talk yeah. to me <laughs> um yeah it was rough i just couldn't what happened it. in cal so the non-patrons haven't heard what happened in cal they slipped by stanford by the skin yeah of their teeth they uh are they beating any are they if they play like this are they going to beat anybody in the ncaa well tournament? for for them so it was kind of the a strange tale of two games in the in the cal game they scored it I mean, scored 73 points, shot at 53, 52%. I mean, they scored it. They couldn't guard. 
Uh, Cal had a great game plan that was similar to what Arizona State did to them at Arizona State, uh, and they had the right players to do it. They made shots, and um, you know they, and, they and hadn't the, won a game in all a season. year and a half. Yeah. Till last January was their last pack. So how do they have the guys to do? They have the guys to do it. Well, they're young. How how come they never won again? How could that team never have won again in this crap sandwich of a Pac-12 where they're playing winnable games after winnable games? How has California not won a game? Well, that's the thing is they took UCLA to overtime in a game that they should have won. They should have won that game, and then UCLA was able to come back and win in overtime. What I was impressed with with Cal was that. For a young team and a team that hadn't won, they didn't fold. Typically, that's what you see teams that get close to having that upset. They they make mistakes because yeah. they're so close. Yeah, uh, They didn't fold. They continued to hit shots. I, I was beyond – I don't know. I couldn't – I don't even know the word. I, I just – I was I was mad and then, I, you know, just disappointed. All the above that, that – Did you think – so then you had two days to play golf – and to do work, mm-hmm. and um, to play Pasatiempo, yes. Al- to visit with Alistair McKenzie in his grave. By the way, he used to live yes, I know. on the sixth I hole. Saw his- um, did you think in your heart of hearts they were going to turn around and beat Stanford? Or did you think they were going to lose that game? I think you thought they were going to lose well, that game. Well, as I told you, I ranked the games in, in order, and I thought on the road at Stanford was going to be the second toughest game. Beyond... Oregon State yes. here. Mm-hmm. I think but, that's what I said. But but forget those rankings because that was before well, they lost to okay. Cal. So, they lose to Cal and you're like, and they haven't beaten Stanford there in about three or four, four years. Four straight games. I got to believe while you're playing, while you're waving to Alistair McKenzie in the back of your mind, you're thinking, they're probably going to lose this. And they're a slight Vegas favorite, like a two-point favorite. You probably were. And then I saw your reaction to them winning. It was mm-hmm. like, whoo. Yeah. My heart stopped. Yeah. I almost feel like you felt like, and I think I did too, that they weren't going to win the Stanford game. Well, two things I want to say about that. First, when I was playing Pasa Tiempo, I had no thoughts about Husky basketball. <laughs> so let's just be clear about that. <laughs> two, um, yeah, I, I knew that it was going to be a very, very tough game. Stanford is 10 points better at home than they are on the road. They shoot at 52% at home versus yeah. 42% on the road. Yeah. Literally, they score at 10 points better at home. So they're a different team at home. Um, and there was a lot of reasons to think this is going to be a very tough game. Dejon Davis, the kid from Garfield, did not play in the game uh, with Washington. Right, he's hurt. Had the boot on, and he's a difference maker. But I still think even if he, he would have played, it would have been a very similar type game. So to answer your question – I knew it was going to be tough. Did I think they were going to lose? No, I didn't think they were going to lose, but I knew it was going to be an absolute battle. Art Party on the Twitter writes, why do I feel like Noel could be such a force on offense? He has these flashes, and then he's a ghost. It's frustrating. Um, he made two oh. really big plays down the stretch on the offensive end when they needed him most. Now, of course, we all all of our cardiologists – would not would not have gotten calls from us mm-hmm. had he just made a free throw or two at the street. Yeah. He had to do that to us. He yeah. had to make us watch them bring the ball down the floor with like 12, 11, yeah. 10 in a one-point game. He couldn't just help us out <laughs> by knocking down a couple of FTs. But um, what about this guy's question on Twitter? Is Noel enough of a force consistently throughout a game? Well, I think one thing about Jalen is he's one of the few players on Washington's team that can 
create and get his own shot. And so I think Jalen plays with the balance of trying to run the offense versus just taking it himself. And and Washington needs Noah Dickerson to touch the ball as well because then they become one-dimensional perimeter-oriented, and that's not good. Right. So they have to have that balance. And, I, and I think what, what Art, if I believe yes. this, what Art is asking it, or what he's asking alluding to it's not so much that Jalen disappears it's that they're trying to create some other guys getting a feel and and you know he doesn't want to take 30 shots okay so in our next two segments you're going to hear two interviews one is going to be with Joel Corey Mm -hmm. the former player agent is going to tell us all about this whole Wilson thing and how that's progressing and some of the other Seahawks Frank Clark the franchise tag but the next segment is going to be our buddy Dave Amon, Brackettville. And I'm going to ask him this question. Split at home with the Oregon schools and get upset in their first game of the Pac-12 tournament. In or out, what is Dave Amon going to say? First of all, what he's going to say is, well, it depends on what happens yeah, yeah, around yeah. him. There's, that's, a lot, there's, you, a, there's a lot of things. Yeah. A lot of, we don't know who's going to steal it's a bids. soft bubble. We, somebody's going to steal bids in the conference tournament that aren't supposed to be there. And obviously, it, yep. it's, not, it, it, it's contingent upon other things. Yep. But overall, split against Oregon. That's what I'm going to ask him. Split against Oregon. Somebody comes in here and beats him. Oregon State could happen. Yep. And then they go out and they lay an egg Washington does in their first game of the Pac-12 in Vegas. In or out? Do you want me to answer that? Yeah. He's going to say they're in. Really? Yeah. Do you think that? Yes. I they do. would finish 15 and three. Yep. Right? Yep. And they would be out in the first round. Yes. Okay. How about loss, loss, loss? Now we're starting to get into some real <laughs> great. Because if you tell me they're territory. in on loss, 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 then they're in. No. Then they're a lock. Loss, win, loss is what. I asked you first, and yeah. now I'm changing it to loss, loss, loss. loss. Then, because I think you could get to an 11. You could still be an 11 in the first scenario. Okay, so you could be playing in Dayton. You you could be going to Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, well, that would be first. bad for us. That would be really bad for us. Because of the yeah, – Yeah. Because of the, you're going to put me on my own and Daniel's yes. broiler in Bellevue. Yes. Uh, let's not have that happen. <laughs> yes. How about loss, loss, loss? Out? It, now that scenario, I can't answer without and by the seeing way, everything. Not else. only is loss, loss, loss a tough one to accept, but then the winner of the Pac-12 tournament is in. Yes, automatically, that could be like Oregon or Oregon State, sure. a team that has no business going anyway. And now, not only have you lost three in a row, but we see a, a spot going to somebody who wasn't supposed to 100%. get in. Oh my God, it's just a disaster. Hundred percent. I don't want. I don't want to be that. sitting there watching Selection Sunday off of a loss, loss, loss. Tell me that that's not going to happen, right? That's I, not going to happen. I don't believe that's going to happen. I do not believe that it's going to happen. Okay. Um. So let me do two interviews. Yes, Arizona State one. That's what I was looking at. I know what you're looking at. Um. Let me do two interviews. Uh. One with Joel Corey about all these this stuff with Frank Clark, whatever. Um. Dave Amon. Uh, Brackettville will ask him those questions. Where's Washington now as a result of the one and one? How far do they fall after they lost to Cal? Mm-hmm. I think you'll like the answers. And then in our last segment, we got to do stories. I got a lot of stories, but people have been asking. I think, I think I'm going to do. I think I've chosen 
from the greatest hits album, um, My Mother, Father, and the Lottery. Do you know that story? I've, I've heard people talk about it on Twitter. I've never, I've heard, never heard it. No, I have not. Okay, you're going to hear it. You certainly know by now, especially if you've been listening to the last many episodes of Mitch Unfiltered, that our newest partner is Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. What you didn't know is that in 2018, the Financial Times named Evergreen as one of the top advisors in America. I didn't even know that until just the other day. Founded three decades ago, homegrown and headquartered right here, downtown Bellevue. Super successful spreading down the West Coast to Portland, San Francisco, and the Napa Valley. This partnership fits like a glove. It's not a commission-based firm. Unlike stockbrokers, Evergreen is a fee-only advisor. There's no hidden fees or commissions. It's legally a fiduciary to their clients. Not all financial advisors can say this. It means that they have a legal requirement to make financial decisions that put your interests first. And they're managing over $2 billion with a B dollars in assets. And I love their partnership with the community and their philanthropic efforts like the Bellevue Boys and Girls Club, for an example, you watch the kids play ball, you see Evergreen's name across all the jerseys in the back, all the different age ranges. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. With the uh, the NFL combines coming and now essentially going, let's get our buddy Joel Corey in, the former player agent, and now the kind of the salary cap expert and writer for CBS Sports. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you don't read his work on CBSSports.com, you're missing out. Joel, thanks for being back with us on on Mitch Unfiltered. Uh, you were at the combines. Tell us a little bit about what you were doing and uh, any thoughts that you might have. Any interesting pearls for us listeners? Uh, totally different perspective from when I used to go as an agent because I'm there advocating for clients and having to go to the NFLPA meeting. This time I'm uh, there as media, so had was actually writing an article while I was up there. Yeah, um, I was there for another purpose, a uh, football conference um, as well. And people, would, if I was over at the media center, would grab me, hey, can you do this spot? And so after a while, I tried to stay away from over there. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Joel, you did a piece uh, a few days ago on CBSSports.com uh, about the franchise tag and the transition tag. Teams are making decisions, I guess, right now, like the Seahawks are making a decision on Frank Clark, I would imagine. You're going to tell us when we talk about him. Um, tell me about that process from your perspective. Is it still... Is it still run the right way? What kind of changes would you make to the franchise and transition tags? Well, the... Franchise transition tag system no longer serves its original purpose. When it was first implemented in 1993, it was designed for a team to be able to retain a marquee player and as a precursor to a long-term deal. It wasn't intended to be for your best uh, player who has an expiring contract. Kickers were not supposed to be people getting franchised, but now you see Robbie Gold's uh, one of the two guys that's been franchised. Um, I think you need to get back to the original intent. Um, Also, the positions are kind of outdated because three, four outside linebackers 
and four three defensive ends have two different tags because the three four guys are considered linebackers in the ends or ends even though they essentially are both edge rushers doing the same thing now that um, teams play with five defensive backs more than 50% of the time. There's about a $1.7 million difference. I'd also split out the offensive line position to the three main positions because the only guys who get uh, franchised are offensive tackles uh, just because the number is so high. Right. I'd get, ri- I'd get rid of that July 15 deadline for multi-year contracts because I'm not really sure why they put that in there, <laughs> uh, why it has to have an arbitrary date where after uh, you pass it, you're only allowed to do a one-year deal. Those are just a couple things I do. So you you say it's not doing what it's designed to do. Let's take the Seahawks for an example, Frank Clark right now. When do they have to decide whether they're going to franchise him? 4 p.m. Eastern time on March 5th, which is Tuesday. Okay. And so he would be a free – if this franchise tag didn't exist, you say it's not doing what it's supposed to do. The Seahawks still can retain him or guarantee themselves that they're not going to lose him by franchising him by the Tuesday deadline. Why do you say that it's not doing what it was supposed to do when that's still the case? Yeah, well, when you meant marquee players, it was designed really with John Elway and Dan Marino in mind. It wasn't designed for basically in a, any other position but right. quarterback. Right. Um, if you're going to make a, a case that the uh, second most valuable position would be whoever rushes the passer, fine. But you're not supposed to be franchising kickers. Um, Seattle's already said Frank Clark's going nowhere in 2019, so we know he's getting franchised. Just haven't formally uh, put the tag on him yet. And when they do, he will be he will be guaranteed should he sign the franchise tender of the average salary of what the top five at his position. Yeah, it's uh, since the cap set, we know what the number is going to be. It's going to be 17.128 million, which is actually less than it was last year. Last year. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence's first franchise tag was $17.143 million. Right. And so Frank Clark has to make a decision. He now knows that he's going to get franchised or he's going to see that he gets franchised at $17 million one year. Um, what's the going rate? What What is it that these guys want to see on paper that would eliminate them for playing for the one-year $17 million? What does Frank Clark want to see or is he waiting for somebody else to sign to set the market? Well, you might see that with these guys. That, cause they're probably going to be four pass rushers uh, franchise. Demarcus Lawrence will get a second one. Um, Dallas already talking to him, but they're far apart. Uh, Jadavion Clowney, D. Ford, and Frank. So those four get franchised. And whoever goes first will establish a new benchmark between where Von Miller's 2016 deal was, which is just over $19 million per year, and where the current top of the market is, Aaron Donald was the first in the $20 million per year club, first non-quarterback to get there, 22-5 a year. Then Khalil Mack, a couple of days later, $23.5 million. So somewhere in between those two, and I expect if you're going to get a long-term deal done with anybody, any of these guys, it's going to be over 20. You get, they're all going to be in the $20 million per year club. Frank Clark's agent in the middle of the year um, said he wouldn't mind playing on a franchise tag if you couldn't uh, – reach what he thought would be a fair price for a contract. So he he's willing to play it out. So he's not going to do anything which is going to cut Seattle some sort of break. So you're going to have to pay Frank Clark what he views as his fair market value. Guy had 13 sacks, which is a career high. I think he's got like 32 over the last three years, which is in the top 10. Um, he 
didn't have any drop off of the impre- increased play time um, with all the changes at defensive end. So, yeah, you're going to have to pay the piper if you want him long term. Talk about paying the piper. What, it, what Joe Corey is our guest. What what is it going to be in terms of a salary cap salary cap hit per year on Frank Clark? We know that the one year franchise you said is 17 and change. If they do a deal, what do you suspect? How much? How much freedom would that give the Seahawks? Because the Seahawks don't want him to count 17 and change against the cap next year. No, they don't. Typically, anytime you do a long-term deal, for the most part, uh, a guy has a franchise tag, you gain cap room. It all depends on how big of a signing bonus is. So, hypothetically, let's say you gave him a $15 million signing bonuses, signing bonus. Seattle doesn't give huge signing bonuses outside of Russell Wilson for veteran contracts. And you gave him, let's say, a $2 million. You're going to have to pay him more than the franchise tag you do. So, let's say you had 15 as a sign. And we'll say four is a base salary. So you're taking 15 divided by five, uh, so much a five-year deal, three. So then you cap number seven in the first year. So you picked up a little over 10 in cap room. Right. Um, and so that's that's obviously advantageous to the Seahawks in their total salary cap picture. What do you think that picture looks like when you consider how much room they have and how many guys under contract they have and how much need they have? What would you assess – when you put it all into the blender, the Joel Corey blender, you would spit out the Seahawks are in good, okay, very good shape in terms of the salary cap. Uh, pretty decent shape, better than they have been in other years because even if you stick the tag on Frank Clark, you still have over $30 million of uh, cap room to work with. Uh, you've already uh, done some what I'll call pre-agent, pre-free agency signings with the extensions last year of uh, Dwayne Brown and Tyler Lockett. Joe Corey is our guest. He is the former player agent, and now he's kind of the salary cap guy for CBS Sports and CBSSports.com. You made a comment. It was either via Twitter or one of your pieces, because I read all the stuff that you do about Russell Wilson, and I've been wondering the same thing. I know a lot of people around the league have been wondering whether Russell Wilson is getting more and more comfortable with the idea of playing this last year of his contract, playing on a franchise tag for one and maybe two years and then three years from now being ready to to back up the Brinks trucks and, and sign the maybe the most maybe the wealthiest contract in the history of the National Football League. Take the ball from there in terms of that story, Joel. Yeah, it's a whole different dynamic than in two thousand fifteen. He made a little over two million from his playing contract. He's made over seventy two million from the contract since then. So he can afford he can afford financially now to play harder ball than before. So Seattle's first, uh, I don't know if necessarily want to call it mistake, but they made it more challenging for themselves when they used him to create cap room um, a couple of years ago because that raised what the non-exclusive franchise tag for him would be because you added money to his existing cap number, so you're going to have to go up 120% off of that last year, wow. 2019 cap number. Wow. That puts you at about 30.3 for his tag in 2020. But they would probably put the exclusive one on him, which projects to just under 31. So he's looking at it from the standpoint, eh, I could play for $31 million. And then you do it again, that's 37 basically. So you've essentially paid him $68 million over two years, and then you wouldn't probably franchise him, wouldn't franchise him a third time because then you're over 50. Uh, so 
in order to get him out of that ball game, what does Seattle have to do? They're going to have to make him the highest paid player in the league. Yeah, you're probably going to have the first $35 million per year guy in the guarantees. Are going to be well over 100 in order to do that, at least in my opinion. Right. So what is he s- slated to make this year, this this coming year, 2019? Um, Off the top of my head, I'm not sure what his uh, base salary is, but I know his cap number is a little over $25 million. Okay. Um, I want to say something like 17 this year. Okay, so, um, so it, from his standpoint, you're saying – if he doesn't sign a contract extension before the beginning of the year, he's looking at about seventeen million in salary for nineteen. Thirty. Yeah, he's at, 30, he's at almost ninety. He's at almost ninety through the contract, and and then, then he goes and then he goes thirty-one and thirty-seven. Right. So nine. So seventeen and thirty-one is forty-eight, and then another thirty-seven is eighty-five. So he's looking at three years, eighty-five million to go year to year without the signing bonus. Um, obviously, there's an injury there's an injury peril to that. Um, and I guess he could consider, what if I slip? What if my, my, my play slips and then I'm not as attractive for the huge deal in three years from now? Those would be the considerations as to why he'd not to, to do the, that. He'd right? have to turn to Blake Bortles in order for <laughs> someone not to pay him, and he's not going to do that. Okay. So it's it's three years, $85 million for the next three years if he goes year to year. And then, God knows what the salary cap will be and what he might be looking at $40 million a year at that point. Particularly if Mahomes is done, because he'll be eligible for a new wow. deal after next season. And I don't know if they're going to do it as early as possible in Kansas City or make him play out the third year and, and do it in 2020. Um, I mean, 2021. But... Um, Either I mean, play off the fourth year, I should say. But either way, um, it's going to be way up there. Whenever he'll, If he does it before Mahomes, it'll make him the highest-paid player in the league. Um, I'm assuming Mahomes will get to 40. Um, I don't know if uh, Seattle would do that then, but if that's what the going rate is, given what the trend has been, the next deal at quarterback for a high-end guy replaces the last standard, you may have to. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So what's the contract? What's It's a guess, obviously. What's the contract that you think he takes, he and his people take right now to forego the lure of being a free agent in three years? Well, right now the highest paid player is Aaron Rodgers at 33 and a half. So I think you have to get above $35 million per year to give them something to think about. Right. Because if you, if you don't give them something to think about, then you're in the Washington Kirk Cousins situation because the Redskins never gave Kirk Cousins a choice to make. It was a no-brainer. Okay, you're offering me this, I'll play an attack. So Seattle's going to have to come with something to at least make him think twice. And again, we're still Not- ta- we're talking about the same situation. The Seahawks are also staring down the barrel, not only of him becoming a free agent, but of his number being so, so big that it takes up so much cap room that they're not able to do some other things in terms of flexibility. Right, which is why they have more incentive to get a deal done uh, than he does. The ball, he has the leverage this time around because he, he can very comfortably go, you know what, I've made money. I can be patient unless you're going to knock my socks off. Right, and you're saying that's got to start at an average salary of $35 million a year. or there's, it's just a yeah, you, made him, you made him second highest paid player last time around, and he's proven himself more. And I know people like to say, oh, he does hand a ball off, but – we have seen 
since he signed that last contract that there have been plenty of occasions where it's become Russell. The offense has been stagnant. You need to do something, make plays, and win the game for your arm. So you can't say he's just a glorified game manager. He's not Dak Prescott. Joel, let's cross into something else about this story. Uh, I don't know what your opinion is. Do you think if they're going to if they're going to commit that kind of money to Russell Wilson that they need to change what they do, change the way they look at offense, change the way they call games from a play-calling perspective and put the ball more in his hands? Or do you think you can pay Russell Wilson you know, $35, 37000000 million a year average salary and still have the offensive kind of outlook that they have in Seattle? I think you can keep it as is because I look at uh, quarterbacks and put them into three categories. Uh, ones you can win in spite of, uh, I would call that the Blake Bortles, Mark Sanchez category. Ones you can win with, and then ones you can win because of. And you can win because of Russell when you allow him to do more. Um, I just think their offensive philosophy now is to try to take as much pressure off of him by establishing a run game. But we have seen that when – the run game isn't going. He can win games. You do win games because of him. Right, right. Uh, Joe Corey is our guest. Let me throw a couple of quick hitters at you, then I'll let you go. Um, Earl Thomas. Uh, there are reports he wants $15 million a year, which is a bit ambitious considering the highest paid safety is thirteen. Uh, I don't think the broken legs are going to affect him um, much at all because getting hurt, I know he's a little older, isn't the kiss of death that it used to be. If Matt Khalil can have his best year in his rookie year, have hip surgery and play two games in his contract year and get $11 million per year to be a mediocre left tackle and Allen Robinson can tear up his ACL after a, after a down year in the season opener and then get $14.25 million per year, Earl Thomas is probably going to be one of the highest paid safeties. I don't know if he resets the market like he did on his old deal, but it's going to be more than he's making right now. Interesting NFL free agents to Joe Corey. Uh, Trey Flowers, because of all these uh, guys who get designated as pass rushers, he's the best young one available, and there are guys who are familiar with him. Uh, he has two former defensive coaches as head coach in Matt, Matt Patricia, Detroit, Brian Flores, Miami, and John Robinson, the Titans uh, GM, um, spent most of his NFL career in New England, and all three of those team, three teams need a pass rusher. What do you think is going to happen to Nick Foles? Uh, most likely a Jaguar because they're a ready-made team in their opinion. They think they're a quarterback away. AFC Championship game in 2017 imploded last year. I don't think they go rookie quarterback. I think Nick Foles is in Jacksonville. What's the market like for a guy like Fluker and a guy like Sweezy, offensive lineman this well, offseason? Well, actually, you have a former offensive lineman who may have set their market in Glowinski. He signed with the Colts uh, for $5.4 million per year on a three-year deal um, in, in January. Uh, when the deal maxes at six years if he uh, hits the uh, escalators incentive. So that may be – they're probably looking at that going, hey, we're particularly uh, Sweezy. I'm just like, that's better than this guy. Yeah. So that may be their, that may be what they're looking for is something to top. Years, how much? How many years? How how much total? Probably three, four years be the length of contract. Uh, six to six five average. Okay. And Le'Veon Bill, finish with him. I know you've been all over that story. God, don't get me started on that one. Cause I think that was <laughs> the most idiotic thing you could ever do. Turn down fourteen and a half million in a peak earning year for the potential to have career longevity in a position which doesn't make money when you're over thirty. 
Um, I think somebody pays him in the Todd Gurley range, um, but I don't think he ever – he's not going to make up the money he f- did not make last year because in order to do that, you have to compare it to what the Pittsburgh offer is because that's how I would evaluate whether to take or turn down an extension with uh, when I was an agent. Do we think we can do better than this on the open mark? He made zero last year. And that deal had 33 in the first two years, so he's got to be at 31, 33 in the first year. Good luck with that. And anywhere between 45 and 47 after two years, because that's where the Pittsburgh deal was after three. So uh, if he gets it, more power to him. If he can do that. But I, I think he's going to fall short of those, those, those standards. Where's Antonio Brown going to play next year? Uh, I don't know, but somebody, someone should tell him to stop talking. Because uh, I thought you could get a first-round pick for him, but the more he talks, the less convinced I am. Sometimes silence is golden when you're trying to get traded. Uh, Raiders have three first-round picks, so if you can still wrangle a first-round pick for him, maybe it's Oakland. Would the Steelers take the Seahawks' first-round pick straight up for t- Antonio Brown? At this point, with all the things he keeps saying, I don't need to play football. And then previously, I want a new contract. It's like, zip it. Because I don't know if there's like some sort of method to his madness where he's trying to force his release now. But <laughs> the more he talks, the more he makes it harder to trade. Because nothing good is coming out of his mouth for <laughs> Teams which might have an interest, at least to me, from the outside looking in. Maybe there's some grand strategy I'm not seeing. Good stuff, Joel. Uh, it's great to visit with you again. I appreciate you being on Mitch Unfiltered. Sure. Thanks for having me. Joel Corey, the former player agent and now the salary cap expert, free agent contract expert for CBS Sports and CBSSports.com. He has carved out quite a niche for himself, and he asks the question, will Russell Wilson now just pass – He'll take a listen to what the Seahawks have to offer, but will he pass, play the final year of his contract for $17 million, and then $31 million on the first franchise tag, and then $37 million on the second franchise tag, so that's what, 85 and then become a free agent in three years when they can't tag him any longer, and he can sign the richest deal for a quarterback maybe in NFL history. Might he go that route? And if he's not going to go that route – What is it going to take for the Seahawks to get him off of that plan? Interesting stuff. And Frank Clark, going to be franchised if they don't get a deal done as early as Tuesday, um, 17 and change million against the cap on the franchise tag for Frank Clark and his 13 sacks from a year ago. Huge news from Daniels Broiler. Daniels brand new location at the new downtown Hyatt Regency is obviously open. World-class hospitality makes each Daniels special. Daniels new downtown location is truly unique. A new downtown Daniels that's open for breakfast, lunch and dinner 7 days a week if you're planning an evening downtown or just visiting Seattle. You now have a world-class choice for prime steaks and seafood. It's the new downtown location on the second floor of the Hyatt Regency at 8th and Howell. I think the Hyatt Regency may be the biggest hotel in the state of Washington or the Pacific Northwest. You can make your reservations today for this world-class edition of the Daniels family. Daniels at the downtown Hyatt Regency. Daniels Broiler World-Class Steakhouses. Unfiltered.
and it is time for our weekly trip to Brackettville. Dave Amon is our guest on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. We are now inside of two weeks to go. Two weeks from right now, whenever it is that you're listening to this episode number 27, you will have your brackets in your hand, and we will know who's in, who's out, which bubble teams made it, did Washington make it? What's Washington's seed? And so this is where it gets really, really – would you call this the stretch run? Is this it now, the stretch run, Dave? Yeah, March is here, and we have, as you said, uh, just under two weeks to go, depending upon when you're listening to this. So conference tournaments get started in several conferences this week, and then next Saturday starts the proverbial championship week, which – counts us down to teams uh, punching their ticket, so to speak, and we get ready to dance. All right, before I ask you what happened to Washington on Thursday when they got caught in Berkeley and what happens to Washington when they survive Stanford and where you have them right now and the Pac-12 and the national prominent teams, let's get just an assessment of the bubble. Not in terms, Dave, of, of which teams are in and which teams are out, but just an assessment of the look of the bubble, the feel of the bubble. You've been saying in previous episodes that you think the bubble is softer this year than it is in typical years. The teams that are just barely getting in have lesser profiles this year than other years. Do you still feel that way? For the most part, I would say yes. The other component of that, Mitch, is I would say it's a little bit thin, too, or slim in the sense that there's more teams on the bubble, maybe. You know, I, get, I did a little count earlier this morning, and you could actually say that there's 20 teams, you know, with two weeks to go that are still would be categorized based upon where they are on the seed list and or their profile that still have work to do uh, and thus are bubble teams. It gets a little bigger to that if you start, you know, expanding it out into teams that still theoretically have a chance but have – maybe more work to do here in these next two weeks. So, and when I say slim or thin, what I mean is, you know, we're considering some teams that typically with the profile they have in some past years anyway would be further away from that cut line. And so that kind of makes the overall appearance of the bubble maybe uh, look a little bit uh, weak. You could imagine what the reaction was of Husky fans on Thursday night when they went to Berkeley and found out that a Berkeley team, a California team that hadn't won a conference game in like a year and a half, made Washington its first victim. There were lots of people wondering, oh my God, is Washington out? Is Washington out? And I was trying to I was trying to help people out through social media not to jump off of bridges just yet. Um, g- give a sense of, as you sit here right now, we're recording this on a Sunday evening, Give me the last team that's in the field. Kind of give a give Husky fans and others that are just fans of college basketball teams that may be on may be wondering what the bubble seems like, and share with our our listeners just how flawed that resume is to give them a sense of well, Washington may be in better better shape than we all thought. Okay, well, if we look at just kind of as a general profile, some of the teams that we're looking at that or a couple that are right along that cut line. You're, you're looking at teams, well, you know, one other from the Pac-12, obviously, in Arizona State, but then teams like Georgetown, Seton Hall, Temple, Clemson, and then a 
non-major, such as Furman from the Southern Conference. So those are some teams that right now sit right along, you know, that cut line. And so if you're looking at, um, you know, a resume, for example, uh, you know, of a Clemson team that is one and nine versus quad one, four and three versus quad two, they have a very good win over Virginia Tech. But their next best win is Lipscomb, and then they've beaten South Carolina, Pittsburgh, and Georgia Tech. Now, they don't have a bad loss, which Washington didn't either until Cal happened. Yeah. Um, but so that that's a team that's 17 and 12, you know, right now, and trying to fight its way to get in. And then we have sort of in a couple of other situations a team like Seton Hall, who has two very good wins. They beat Kentucky on a neutral court early in the year, and they have a road win at Maryland. They've also won some other good or what you would say maybe not you know, high-end, but, but quality Big East victories and on the road in Creighton and Xavier, who has surged back uh, into the conversation, St. John's. But they, too, have piled up losses. And so as we talk right now, they're at 16 and 12. So that disparity between their win and their loss, you know, is shrinking, and so uh, thus their margin begins to shrink with it. And they also have a couple of losses to DePaul and St. Louis, and in fact, they lost to DePaul twice. So those are an example, maybe, Mitch, of a couple of teams that are along that cut line that are either similar or a little worse because they they just don't have the same volume of wins that, that Washington does or they've been more ups and downs. They may have some more highs, but they also have some more lows, and they also have a significant number um, more of losses. And so when you look at a profile across the board, big wins are certainly one of the key components that the committee will look at. Bad losses are another. But then it's gen- also there's a component of the general overall profile of who did you play, where did you play, who did you beat, um, and then sort of how you did, because we could pull out a resume of a team that's under 500 right now that has two or three really good wins, but that doesn't counteract the fact that they have 15 or 16 losses. Here's the question that a lot of people ask, especially with this year's Washington team. For the uh, NCAA selection committee, and you put on one of those old-fashioned scales a brick that is a great, great quality win – and then on the other side of the scale, you put a brick, which is a, just a terrible loss, like a loss to Cal, a 300th-ranked NET team or what have you. Which one would have more weight? Would the, the terrible loss hurt you more than the great win helps you or vice versa? My understanding in sort of seeing how the committee has reacted to that over the years, in a general sense, beating a quality team will matter a little bit more than who you can lose to. Because it is, as some people have said before, any team can lose a game. I mean, it happens. I mean, you don't like it to happen to a team like Cal, but it can happen. And there can be any number of reasons for that. So at some point they ask, who did you beat or who can you beat? So if a team's profile is otherwise sort of nondescript or in the middle, I would tend to think in most cases a high-quality win 
is going to overshadow at least a little bit the loss. It's not going to be a direct where you have one over here and one over there. What happens to some teams is they get two or three on that right side of the ledger, which is the maybe the not so good loss, and then you only have one or two quality wins, and in which case then that whole thing sort of evens out or actually tends to to weigh in the other direction. So what happened to Washington as a result of Thursday night's loss in Berkeley before we get to Stanford's game? Can you recall where you had Washington before they lost to Berkeley? Uh, in Berkeley, and where you had them the next morning? Yeah, they were up at about the 27, which is sort of in the middle to lower end of the 7 line. Um, And they're probably going to end up, because they did survive Stanford, probably right near the bottom of the 8 line. And the other fallout, I would say, at least, and this is a snapshot at this particular time, because we don't know yet what's going to transpire over these next two weeks, it may be a little bit harder now for Washington to climb back up yes. um, and get into that proverbial top half of the bracket. But that remains to be seen. they still got two games, um, you know, at home this next week. Um, they get the Oregon schools, neither of which is, you know, going to be an NCAA tournament team without winning the conference tournament. But, um, you know, in net ratings with them, there would be another couple of what you would say solid wins, um, nothing great, but, but uh, at least – notable in that quad two range uh, for them. So I don't want to say anything set in stone, uh, but the way it's looking right now, their percentage chance of ending up in that 8-9 game probably went up with that loss to Cal. And that's not what people wanted to hear, but it's better than hearing that their chances of making the field went exponentially down. Uh, This is the question that everybody is wondering. You're going to say, well, things don't happen in a vacuum, so I can't really answer that question, but take a shot at it. They've got two games against the Oregon schools at home, and then they'll get a bye in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament and then play what I guess would be a second-round game. What's the formula to disaster? What can they withstand? If I told you they were going to, I don't know, split the games at home and then lose in an upset, in the first game that they play in the Pac-12 tournament, that's one and two over the next three games. Would you say they're going to have a tough time making the field, or is the bubble so soft that, oh, my God, they'll finish, what would they finish, 15-3 and three in the Pac-12 and an upset loss in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament? Would they still get in? Most likely, and I'll emphasize most likely, in that scenario where they split with the Oregon schools, and particularly let's assume that that first-round loss isn't to, like, Cal again, um, you know, or someone like that. I would probably say they'll find a way to, to sneak in, but they, but they could be getting awful close down into that, um, you know, approaching the uh, low 10 or 11 seed line, which the, the problem with that, of course, is if – bids get squeezed that's that's when those teams start getting more nervous um obviously going zero and three from here on out would not be a particularly good look for washington just given the overall perception fair or unfair of the pac-12 but by surviving stanford today if they go one and two in their last two at home and then lose that last one the way it looks today i think they would probably still sneak in yep 
but they're going to be rooting like crazy that Buffalo wins in yeah. the MAC, yeah. Wofford wins the Southern, yeah. um, you know, VCU wins the Atlantic 10, and somebody like Houston or uh, Cincinnati or um, UCF or somebody wins the um, American as opposed to like Memphis pulling an upset on their home floor. And they could be looking at a first four game in Dayton if they were to go one and two. It's, pot- it's possible, yeah. you know, because, again, as you said, in a vacuum, we don't know. I mean, right. you know, Florida could go out and lose their last three games and then they're SEC and they're out of the picture. And, you know, we don't know anything about NC State. Um, they're kind of in a similar boat. They don't have that bad loss, but they have just an absolutely horrific non-conference strength of schedule, which in the past the committee has said, if you end up anywhere near the bubble, we don't really appreciate the fact that you played a non-conference schedule of around 350, so um, they've been known to leave those people out. So we have a lot of teams, and I mentioned this today, that these last, this last week of the regular season and their conference tournament, as much as any year in recent years, particularly along the bubble, um, is going to be really important for a lot of teams. Okay. Uh, Dave Amon is on the Zeke's Pizza hotline. He's the best, the very best at this, Brackettville. Um, so to recap, before we get off of Washington and, and move to Gonzaga and the top of the the top of the brackets, um, the one and one split, loss in Cal, win by one at Stanford. You think cost Washington about five to six seeding lines from the middle of the seven seed to the bottom of the eight seed currently? Yeah, somewhere that's probably about where I think they're going to fall out. You know, it ends up being about about five spots. Okay. You know the, yep. the way it kind of works, okay. Um, okay. and so that's that's probably a okay. fair adjustment to where they were, and then we'll see you know how they finish out and how everybody else uh, finishes out around them. Can Mark Few's team screw up a number one seed? Is there any scenario where Gonzaga is not one of the four number ones in the number one in the West? Not as we talk today. Um, it would take a really strange confluence of things, I believe, okay. uh, for that to happen. You know, they just completed an undefeated uh, West Coast Conference season again. With their the way that system is set up, they're not really going to be likely to have a bad, bad loss. Um, and they sit number one in the net, and I think they've been up number one in Kim Palm and some other metrics that the committee has on the team sheet. So... I just don't see Gonzaga falling below four on the seed list at this point, and I think they will be the number one seed in the West uh, here in a couple of weeks. Tennessee got revenge on Kentucky. Both have beaten the other by about 17 or 19 on its home floor, Dave. Um, Is that going to lead to a swap, putting Tennessee up on a one line and Kentucky on a two? Might you have both of them on a two and move a North Carolina up to a one seed. What's the shakeout of that SEC? And I think there's a lot of us that are just college basketball fans who would like to see that game one more time, maybe in the SEC championship game. Well, and that could very well happen. And if it does, that game, that outcome could very well determine who's the one and who's the two. For our purposes tomorrow, um, I'm sliding Tennessee back into the four spot on the seed list, which would make them the fourth number one and they would slide into the Midwest. Now, the positive for Kentucky being in the number five spot with North Carolina very, very close behind in the sixth spot, and really, let's be honest, you could 
you know, you could make a case for um, any of those three in any of the order, and you wouldn't be wrong. That would put Kentucky into the south region in going through Louisville, which actually, you know, if you didn't weren't overly concerned about being a one seed, would probably be favorable to them. Interesting. Um, you don't want to put North Carolina. You're resisting North Carolina on the one on the one line. People in Chapel Hill are going to get a complex if you keep treating them this way, Dave. Well, I tell you, uh, <laughs> when when the verse results came in, if it makes them feel better, my initial reaction was that Carolina's in prime position to move up, and I still think that that's very plausible that it could happen you know they have a big game coming up uh the second one with duke this weekend and then we have the acc tournament and we don't yet know whether zion williamson is going to return or not for duke and how duke will play if he does return or if he stays out and if that is not resolved prior to when the selection committee has to make their final seating decisions as we saw, you know, it's been a few years ago now when Kenyon Martin got hurt for Cincinnati, it cost the Bearcats a seed line. So there's a lot to figure out. Um, I don't know that I see three ACC teams on the one line, not with whom else we have uh, lurking around there, but it's going to be quite a race, and certainly Carolina is very much in that mix to be one of those number ones here in a couple of weeks. How about a free faller? How about a high riser? Who you got on your list, Dave? Well, a team moving in the wrong direction, uh, most notably maybe that people would would recognize um, a couple of them. First, you know, we start have to start wondering about St. John's at this point. They played themselves back onto the bubble, um, lost to DePaul today, and despite some really good wins, they've been kind of a Jekyll and Hyde outfit um, throughout the year. You know, they have that sweep of Marquette, and they beat Villanova. But then they also have lost to DePaul twice. They've lost to Providence twice. um, And just kind of seem to be all over the place. So I don't think there may be an immediate danger. But with their net falling, they have now put themselves in a position where they have some work to to clean up. And then another one I think um, that could really maybe surprise people a little bit that they've got some work to finish would be Ohio State. Um, out of the Big Ten, one of their uh, main players, one of the Wessons, is uh, suspended um, right now. From what we understand, he's supposed to be back for the Big Ten tournament. But Ohio State has, you know, a couple of tough ones to close the regular season. Um, and if you look close into their profile, you know, they have a big early win at Cincinnati. Um, the rest are okay. But they have a little bit of work to do also here to just make sure that they stay in the field and don't get themselves uh, in a difficult spot. Okay. And in terms of teams rising, yep. I, I would say, you know, back in the other direction, you know, one team that kind of that, that comes to mind maybe that uh, someone may not think about because they are sort of a, a power conference team, and that would be Texas Tech, who is now um, up on top of the Big 12. Um, yeah. and their, their resume is uh, pretty strong and have a chance to win the Big 12 outright. Yeah. And then if they do well in the Big 12 tournament, um, they're going to be on a three-line tomorrow and could certainly still be in the conversation to work themselves up into that two-line, depending on how things play out. 
And one last selfish question from me. Uh, Syracuse got the win over Wake Forest that you suggested to me a week ago that they should get. They got it. They got to 10-6. and six. So now every Syracuse fan wants to know, can they, can they lose to Virginia? Can they lose to Clemson and lose in the first game of the ACC tournament? Finish 10-8 and eight in ACC play with a first-round exit or a first-game exit, as the case may be in the ACC tournament, and still get into the field? Yes or no? I would... On a slight margin, probably say that they would make it. Okay. That I think would leave them if they lost, um, you know, their last three basically their games here. The, the next two and then a first one that would leave them at 19 and 13 with a road win at Duke, win over Louisville. Um, it, it might be a little close <laughs> for them to feel comfortable. But if history is uh, any indication with their strength of schedule, again, they would probably sneak in, assuming that we don't lose about four spots from our at-large. All right, let me ask it to you this way. Whose profile would you like better? Washington finishing one and two, splitting at home and losing in their first game of the Pac-12 tournament? Or Syracuse finishing 0-3, losing to Clemson, Virginia, and whomever they play in the ACC tournament? Which, Which profile would you take? Mitch, you're making this serious now. <laughs> On the spot, right down to, you know, again, this is where it gets a little bit, because every committee's a little different. The gut would tell me out of the past that because of that win at Duke and a win over another NCAA team in Louisville and another likely NCAA team in Ohio State. Uh-huh that the fact that all things else being considered, those might slightly outweigh Washington's overall um, more consistent record throughout the year, given what the perception of the Pac-12 is. I'm not going to hold you to that one. I'm letting you off scot-free. I'm not going to hold you to that, Dave. Okay, well, that's good because uh, (laughs) hopefully it won't play out that way for either of them. Dave Amon, you've got to follow uh, Bracket Guy Dave on the Twitter and, of course, Bracketville.wordpress.com, the most accurate bracketologist that there is over the last five years, and that's a statistical fact. He does it better than anybody else. He's going to update his website. He's going to update his Twitter over and over again as we're inside of two weeks until Selection Sunday, and you've got to check it out. You want to know exactly where your favorite team is. He's the guy to ask. He's the guy to watch. Dave, this is the best time or one of the best times of the year in sports, and I just can't wait. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next week at this time. All right. Thank you, Mitch. Dave Amon, creator of Bracketville, who says the real damage that Washington did to themselves on Thursday in Berkeley, California, is they put themselves in a position where they're looking at that 8-9 game. They had played their way out of that game to the 7 line, maybe even a 6 line, but the loss to a 300th-ranked NET team in California now puts them squarely in harm's way in terms of the 8-9 game that nobody wants. It's been a couple of years since Land Rover produced the Defender, but it's coming back, and it's really spectacular. The order list is filling up at Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue, but remember, Alan Dimitri have promised us that Mitch Unfiltered listeners go to the front of the line. It's one of the most highly anticipated vehicles, 2020 vehicles, an aluminum body truck with off-road chops, says 
Road and Track magazine, but this time it'll ride on the same unibody platform as a Range Rover. And you just can't beat Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. All I've driven in the last 12 years, seemingly, vehicles I've either leased or owned from this great dealership, a terrific sales squad, and a service department that's open seven days a week for your convenience. A pre-owned selection, by the way, which is really good, too. Just off of 520 on the Northeast 20th Street in Bellevue, Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. Unfiltered. One last thing about the Bryce Harper thing. When you get a $330 million guaranteed deal where you're going to be paid every penny of $330 million, the $50,000 for being an all-star, the uh, the fifty grand for being a gold glover, yeah. the silver slugger, you get thirty or fifty grand for being a silver slugger. At what point... Do the incentive clauses like? Yeah, I it's mean, monopoly money. What 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 are we doing it here? Even matter. Can we just forget the? Yeah. Can we forget the incentive? Yeah. I'm getting three hundred and thirty million yeah. bucks. I can live without the fifty grand that I get for being the NLCS MVP. Bryce Harper is going to the store and picking up a watch for fifty grand. Like that's he's like yeah whatever. Oh God. Yeah. Um, I want to say kudos. To our old friend, he used to be on our show every once in a while when I did the radio show on KJR, Danny Farquhar. Mm-hmm. Do you know the Danny Farquhar story? There's always a story. There's always a story. No, no, no. The Danny Farquhar Oh, story. his story. His story, not my story. Collapsing in the dugout. Yeah. He had an, uh, I think it was yeah. a- In uh, Chicago. Yes. Yes. A hemorrhage, a brain yes. hemorrhage. They rushed him to the hospital. He nearly died. Yeah. yeah. He, he's lucky to be alive. Happened right in the dugout. Yep. It was a scary, scary, scary thing. He collapsed. He pitched on Saturday for the first time in a, in a spring training game Good for him. since the incident. And I just wanted to mention that because that made when I read that over the weekend, that made me feel good. And if something makes me feel good, I want to share it yeah, with you. Yeah, that's okay? fantastic. Um, a couple of more tweets, and then I'll tell uh, a story uh, from the Greatest Hits album. I, I seem to remember, says Aaron Imper. You almost left KJR to go back to D.C. at one point. That's not right, but I did almost leave. I did leave KJR, but then had a change of heart and state. Can you share a bit about that? I'll add that to the list. Um, any story that you want to tell about your Big East tournament or NCAA tournament travels with your dad uh, made me want to have kids and establish a tradition like yours. And and when this, this comes from uh, Michael Zwink, mm-hmm. and I just have so many of them. Yeah, I have so many of yeah. them. I have. I I wrote back to him and I said I didn't know. I I wouldn't know where to start. I really have considered. I can't write a book because I can't write. But I have I have toyed with the idea of like how do I how do I tell the how do I get those stories in print? There was twenty five years I went twenty five years of straight. Lots of stories to the Big East tournament and every NCAA tournament that Syracuse. Any game they played anywhere for twenty five straight years, my fa- it was in my contract at one point <laughs> that you could go. That, that you- I could go. I only missed one game in twenty five years. Did you know that I missed one game? I did not. I, w- I missed one game, and the guy who's responsible for that, I'm going to say it again. He gets mad every time I bring it up because he's like, I hate the fact that I'm the guy because I've seen him in subsequent yeah. years. Do you do you know the name John Dracel? Does that oh, name yeah. anything? Yeah, to- yeah. You yeah. you know everybody. Sonics former Sonics. Sonics. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I was doing the pay per view. Yeah. Um, the pay-per-view that got yeah. me hired, <laughs> yes. by the way. Yes, yes. Um, 
they had the final Syracuse made it to the 1996 final four. It was the last final four in a regular arena. It was played where the nets, it was, uh, we, we called it, um, the Meadowlands. Yeah, the Meadowlands. The Meadowlands in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So they played the Final Four there, and Syracuse made it in 1996. Um, they actually got to the final game. They faced Kentucky. They were Syracuse did not have a great team. They had a guy named John Wallace, yeah. and they made this incredible run, and they got to the final game against Patino's Kentucky team who had everybody. They had like five NBAers or six NBAers mm-hmm. on that, that team. Syracuse played Mississippi State in the national semifinal, on that 1996 April Saturday, and the Sonics had a pay-per-view game that I was supposed to work the sidelines and do the pregame mm-hmm. and do the halftime and so forth. And I went to John Dracel, who was who was one of the runners of the Sonics yeah. at that point, maybe the uh, the business end. Yep. And I said, "Listen," and he was the guy who hired me. He, I said, "Listen," and I was doing the midday show. I was here a year. I said, "I have this tradition with my dad. I go to every." tournament game and they happened they made the final four right and he said nope he said nope you can't go i said are you kidding me i can't go he said you have i'm not letting you out of it that's brutal so i missed that that's the only game in 25 years that we missed and so my father calls me and he says are we going to go if they win if they beat mississippi state on that saturday are we going to fly in i said yes so they won I flew in on sat on Sunday morning, mm-hmm. went to the game with my father and flew back. But the I got back at Dracel a little bit because after I had heard that they after they had won, we're doing that game on Saturday evening yeah. in uh, in yep. what is the new key arena yep. at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, Marcus and Marcus and Kevin did not know this. Oh, they did not know this. I kept it under my I had someone paint my face. I was wearing a, a suit, oh my the gosh. suit on the sideline, and I had them paint my face orange on one side, and I think white. I think it was orange and blue, orange okay. and blue, and I had an S in one yeah. cheek and a U in the yeah. other, and I didn't tell anybody. And Marcus and Kevin, let's go down to the courtside. Our first visit tonight with uh, with Mitch Levy, and they go down, and I have the, the tape somewhere. Yeah. And I am standing there with the bike <laughs> with Syracuse paint all over my face. And what was their response? They were laughing so hard. They thought it was the funniest oh, that's thing. So good. Marcus thought it was so good. And that's the only game that I missed in tour. But I have all these stories. Uh, I know that I've never. Sh- uh, some of which I don't know that I've shared. There was a, a near brawl at Madison Square Garden that my dad was kind of in the middle. Oh of yeah, it. You, that one you've. I you, have. You have. Yeah. You he have. got thrown out because of the possession arrow, yep. you know that. He ran it. We we ran into. He, he did I ever tell you the Patino story? Him running into Patino. Yes. Uh, he also ran into Calipari, Calipari in, the, yes. in the in the in uh, the. I know that one. He he walked right into a film session that Calipari was doing with his assistant because the door was open in their hotel room, and my dad walked right in and started telling him, "Here's here's how you play Syracuse," <laughs> trying to get to, to throw him off. They were just laughing. Um, so there's a lot of. So I got a book to write, but. I think for today, people have asked for some reason, maybe because the lotteries have gotten to be high recently. I don't know. People want to hear the lottery story. So I think one of the first states to do the lottery before power, I think it was before Powerball where all the states were Mm -hmm. lumped lumped together, was Florida. Florida had a lottery real early when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. They had a lottery. And my my dad would never, I don't think my dad ever played. Maybe he did. My mom 
used to say, if it gets to a hundred million, I'm in. Mm-hmm. I'm not playing for fifty. I'm yeah. not playing for seventy-five. If it gets to a hundred million, I'll play. Mm-hmm. And so every once in a while, the Florida lottery would get to a hundred million dollars. I don't know how it did, but it did. And this was probably I don't know in the eighties, yeah. maybe maybe early nineties. Um, it got to a hundred million. And my mother decided to play, and she went up to the 7-Eleven, which is about a two-mile ride from our house mm-hmm. on US-1, and she, she bought herself some tickets, and she's going to win $100 million, and mm-hmm. she started asking, what should I do with it, yada, yeah, yeah, yada, yeah, yada. Yeah. And my dad did something that was both funny and maybe the most cruel thing oh, that boy. one loving human being can do to another. So as I recall... The drawing was on a Saturday night. Mm -hmm. And on Sunday morning, my father got up in the morning, looked to see what the the numbers were from the previous Mm -hmm. night's lottery, went up to 7-Eleven and bought a ticket for the next game uh, with those numbers Mm -hmm. and came back and slipped it into her stash of lottery tickets. Now... Yes. Did it have a different date on yeah, it? Of yes. Course. But who's who? Looking- yeah. It's your stack of tickets that you purchased. You're just going through your stack of tickets. So my father, may he rest in peace. And the fact that he didn't get killed before, <laughs> during this time, is just an amazing thing. The fact she didn't kill him. Yeah. Um, he went and he sat in his chair on that Sunday. He had a chair like most guys do. They had a chair, and he used to read the newspapers, and he would bring, put the newspapers up. And you wouldn't see his face. He would His face would always be behind the news. He was yeah. always behind the newspapers yeah. in his chair in yeah. the family room. And my mother came in. I think maybe my brother Jay was there. And she's like, oh, I got to look I got to look to see if I won my $100 million. And he's behind the, the newspaper. And uh, Jason, what then, what, 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 what proceeded to happen will go down as one of the funniest but cruel no. pranks that has ever been pulled in the history of pranks. She starts going through the tickets. And she starts... What? She's looking at this oh. one. And... I... I... I, I, I think I... I think I won! I'm serious, I think I won! Jay, I think I won! And she said, read, read, look at the newspaper and read, read, just read those tickets, read those numbers. And like 12, 18, 24, and he's behind the freaking newspaper. And she decides she's won. And she's sitting on the couch and she lays back on the couch and her little legs go, she's, like she's riding a bicycle on her back. She's yes. like, I won! And she's like just screaming, and he he starts laughing behind the she's behind the newspaper, yeah. and she, for about ninety seconds, thought she won a hundred million dollars. Oh man! Until he said, he had you better you want to check that date on there, and she's like, "What are you talking about?" And he told her, and uh, yeah, she said, "What what yeah what did she say afterwards?" I, I swear she didn't talk to him. For a few days. Yeah. And at one point, I think she said, I'm going to go spend. Right. I'm taking my credit card. Right. And I'm going to go spend like I, I won. I'm going to go spend <laughs> like I won. I'm going to go. I, screw him. I'm yeah. just going to start. Spe- I won $100 million. I'm yeah. just going to I'm gonna spend it right now. Yeah. I'm going to spend it right now. Yeah. She's on that Bryce Harper money. And so the only thing that he said, the one thing that he said 
that I recall was he said, look, Seal, think about it. I, you just had an opportunity. You just experienced something that so few people have ever experienced. Mm. You felt like what you felt what it's like to win a hundred million dollars yes. for ninety seconds. I did that for yeah. you. <laughs> for ninety uh, seconds. That's like a heck of a point. You, no, it's not. <laughs> it's the worst point of all. For ninety seconds, I gave you the thrill of a lifetime. There's so few people on the planet that know. What oh, it feels like man. to, and you are one of them. You know how it feels to win a hundred million dollars. So good. And she just wanted to just throw a vase at him. Oh, I'm sure. She was so pissed. It was so cruel. And her legs. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's your, there's your story. I love it. Mitch and his dad. I guess his dad and his mom and the lottery ticket, the hundred million dollar Florida State Live. All right. That's it. That's, That's it. all I got. Episode. 27. Mike Trout. Good enough? Is it episode Mike Trout? Is it episode Trout? Is it episode, what is it? Episode Mike Trout. Is it in the books? All right, it's in the books.